Isaiah 58. We take this chapter in connection with our treatment of the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment reads, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. We hear the inspired word of God in Isaiah 58. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast, as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out into thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Then thou shalt call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. 
If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. We read God's word that far. We read this in connection with Lord's Day 38. Found in the back of our Psalter on page 22. We have question and answer 103. What doth God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained, and that I, especially on the Sabbath, that is, on the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God to hear his word, to use the sacraments, publicly to call upon the Lord, and contribute to the relief of the poor as becomes a Christian. Secondly, that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works and yield myself to the Lord to work by his Holy Spirit in me and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, how have our plans fit in with God's intentions for the Lord's day? This Lord's Day and the consideration of this Lord's Day always pricks me mightily as I think of my own keeping of the Lord's Day, as I think of how I oversee my household. And I realize, as I'm sure you do, how difficult, how exceedingly difficult it is to keep this commandment faithfully. It's pertinent that we take up this commandment at the beginning of the summer. Often summer plans interfere with God's will on his holy day. And too often we and churches around us sacrifice God's will on the altar of our own pleasure. What do I view, what do you view to be your responsibility on the Lord's day? Many have the attitude that it's a day for family. Others view Sunday as a day to rest physically, to catch up on sleep, catch up on my homework, Others pat themselves on the back because they made it to church twice. Yet others establish all kinds of rules, all kinds of regulations, and return to the bondage of the law and a righteousness that is by works. Jehovah God, for his own glory and for our spiritual well-being, has given us one day of the week, which we are called to lay aside all earthly activities, all of our cares, all our labors, in order to fill the day with things that pertain to the things of his kingdom, the things of his eternal tabernacle. God has not given us Sunday because we're bound to esteem one day above another. God has not given us Sunday because there's something inherently religious in not working for one day a week. God has not given us Sunday so that we can establish a set of laws that destroy again the reality of grace. But God has given us the Lord's Day as an integral part of the law of liberty, 
which we are called to walk according to by virtue of our regeneration. And God gives us then the Lord's Day so that it can be filled in a special measure with the things of God's kingdom, the things of God's covenant. God gives us this day specifically so that we can enter into His glorious rest. And that's the focal point that we want to maintain this evening. The keeping of the Lord's Day is a highly spiritual matter. It's an act of faith, and it's something that requires a child of God walking close with his Lord. As he stands in covenant communion with his God, and as he goes forward by faith, it's something that he performs then out of love. And we look at that love that we have toward God in the fourth commandment, noting the basic principle, rest, that God is a God of rest. Secondly, the prohibition, and finally, the demand. The central idea of the Sabbath is rest. In the deepest sense of the word, the Sabbath is the rest of God. And the word rest means to cease. It's the same word that was used in the Old Testament for the cessation of an earthly event. For instance, God would send manna for a time, and then God ceased to send manna. And this word is used. God rested. From sending manna. The very word Sabbath means that we lay aside our earthly activities in order to enter into the rest of God. Now, God created all things we know in the beginning and then He rested. That's the clear testimony of Genesis 1 and 2. He set aside the seventh day at that point for divine worship. Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3 express God explicitly doing so. So that this is a creation ordinance that goes even, precedes Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. And we read here in Isaiah 58, verse 13, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, And shall honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. The fourth commandment directs our attention to the required rest. Now the book of Hebrews, especially in chapter 4, speaks much too of that rest. Quoting from Psalm 95, versifications of which we've sung, it establishes the fact that unbelievers in the desert could not enter into the rest of God because of their unbelief. They were not walking faithfully before God. And verse 11 in Hebrews 4 brings a warning and an admonishment, labor to enter into that rest, implying this takes effort. This is not simple. It's not easy for us to do. And again, that rest is a creation ordinance. It's not something that we can take or leave. There are those like the Baptists and others who say, the fourth commandment, it's of no impact today. We don't need to keep the fourth commandment any longer. No, it's a creation ordinance established by God on Sinai and that which Jesus also maintained for the glory of God. Now, what is the significance of God's rest? The idea of rest is not that God lays down and does nothing. We realize that. God is busy. He's eternally active. And God's rest is never meant then to be idleness. God never intends that the Lord's day be a day of idleness. 
God's rest is a spiritual rest. It's that which is explained again throughout Scripture and especially in the book of Hebrews. The nature of God's rest, according to Genesis 2, is that God entered into the enjoyment of what he had made. He rested from the work in the sense that he no longer was making anything new. But now he entered into the enjoyment of what he had done. And he was focused then on praising, magnifying, exalting himself for all the wonders that had been performed. The things that he had created, now he enjoyed. And so God is busy in that rest. He's busy upholding all things by the word of his power. He's busy maintaining and preserving the whole of the creation. God is the one who still causes conception. He upholds and causes our lives to continue day by day. God and Jesus Christ have been working and have been busy from the very beginning. If God would take his hand out of the creation, everything would perish and fall apart. Psalm 104 verse 29 speaks of the hand of God upholding and continuing to preserve the whole of the creation. God's appointment of a day of rest then was that he might engage in the consideration of his work. So that we too set aside a day of the week in order to enter into the consideration of God's work. What has God done for me? What has God done for the sake of his church? Not only the creation that Adam entered into and enjoyed, but the wonder of salvation and the wonder of grace that we can enter into the enjoyment of what God has done for us and acknowledge this work is a finished work. There's nothing more that's necessary. Now that's astounding, beloved, that God has performed a work for us in Jesus Christ that requires Nothing more of us. It's a finished work. He's accomplished everything that was necessary for our salvation. We've talked about this before. Everything that we're engaged in is that which is, in a certain sense, a burden. We're never finished. We always are working at our marriages. We're always working at parenting. We're always working at relationships. We're constantly working on projects. Never do we get to the point where we can say, I'm completely finished now. There's always something more that needs to be done. On the Lord's Day, God brings us into the enjoyment of a work that is finished. There's nothing more necessary. It's been accomplished on our behalf. When Christ arose from the dead, he accomplished the fulfilling of the law of the Sabbath. And he changed then the worship of that day from the last day of the week to the first day of the week in commemoration of his resurrection. God desires that on the Lord's day to release us from all the busyness and all the business that would occupy our time in order that we can contemplate on the words of Christ, it is finished. And the joy and the wonder of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So that we withdraw from the activities that enfold us, the things that would consume us, and we now have a day in which we can commemorate and think upon God's love and God's goodness and God's faithfulness. God gives us a day that requires of us so much that we need to plan for it. We need to prepare for it. Is that something you do? 
You prepare for the Lord's day. Many make the six days as long as they can, and they make the Lord's day as short as they can. The child of God sees the Lord's day as an entire day to devote to Jehovah God. And he plans ahead. He makes provision so that he can set aside that day in a special way. Now, how can we rest? Our weekly Sabbath is a picture of heaven, the eternal rest. And that eternal rest that is ours is ours only through Christ's perfect victory over sin and death. We're free from the bondage of sin. We're free from the curse of the fall. Through Jesus Christ, the rest of the covenant is perfected. It's accomplished. Jesus came as the head of the covenant and he accomplished that perfect rest. And so the chief purpose then of the Lord's day is not merely rest from our daily labor. We do that already at night. The chief purpose of the Lord's day is not to spend time with family. We can do that any day or any night. The chief purpose is to enter into covenant communion and fellowship with the living God in Jesus Christ. That rest is the true rest. We worship God. We show forth His praise. We gather in order to engage our minds in activities that enable us to know and to remind ourselves of the joy of the covenant. And we do that in ways that we don't have time for throughout the course of the ordinary week. We do it in ways that remind us of what great things God's done for us and the value and purpose that is ours in Jesus Christ. Our prayers, that of the catechism, direct all my actions on the Lord's day to the glory of God so that I learn more and more to cease from my evil works all the days of my life. There's a flowing over of the Lord's day into the whole rest of the week. God creates then a constant cycle in our lives so that the whole of our lives is constantly pointing to rest, to perfect rest. And we experience the fact that our weekly rest doesn't attain that perfection. We realize with shame our failures and God works in us that longing and that sanctification by which we pursue greater measures of obedience and faithfulness and ultimately long for that eternal rest that awaits. And so we work six days with a view to that day of rest. We don't work for the weekend. We don't work for our own pleasure. We look forward to the rest that God has given us as a way of peace, fellowship with God. After a week of using the gifts that He's given us to serve Him, to obey Him, We're given a day now, now, the first day of the week, in which we can engage in and enter into the wonder of our salvation and the joy of covenant communion with God. And God then makes it so that our lives are a constant cycle of being guided toward heaven, being guided toward rest, but ultimately the rest that is eternal. We can't avoid the Lord's day. And more and more the result is that we long for not only the first day of the week, but God works in us a longing then for the eternal rest of Sunday. Now there are those who would reject the idea of the Sabbath saying that Christ fulfilled it and therefore we don't need to keep it any longer. We acknowledge that there is a ceremonial, 
there is a moral aspect to the command. So both a ceremonial and a moral. The ceremonial aspect that was fulfilled in Christ is the setting aside of the seventh day for sacrifices to God. We don't need to do that. Christ offered the sacrifice that's necessary, the bloody sacrifice, so that now the first day of the week is the day in which we engage in worship and praise to God. But the moral aspect is unchangeable. The ceremonial accomplished in Christ, the last day of the week, is fulfilled. The sacrifices are fulfilled in Him. But the first day of the week is now appointed by God. So that there's a moral aspect to the law, which is that which is the setting aside of a definite, specific, appointed day for the purpose of spiritual rest. So that with Christ, the Lord's day is not abolished, but established. Ceremonial aspects fulfilled, but now the Lord's day established as that day in which we enter in a special way into the enjoyment of Christ's finished work. The Synod of Dort spent a lot of time on the Lord's Day. At the time of the Synod of Dort, there was a lot of abuse of the Lord's Day. And so the Synod took upon itself carefully to lay out the truths of the Scripture as pertaining the Fourth Commandment. Among the quotes, the Sabbath of the Jews having been set aside, Christians are in duty bound to hallow the day of the Lord solemnly. Another quote, this day has always been kept in the early church since the time of the apostles. Another quote, this day must be so consecrated unto the service of God that upon it men rest from all servile labors except those required by charity and present necessity and likewise from all such recreations as prevent the service of God. The fourth commandment then stands. Now, it did not introduce a new teaching at the time of Moses. That's another argument some make. The Sabbath was celebrated from the very beginning. So that already in Exodus 16, verse 23, we read of reference to the Sabbath before the law had been given. In Exodus 20, verse 8, the fourth commandment begins with these words, Remember the Sabbath day. And that's important and significant. And the Westminster Confession establishes the importance of that. Why is, in question 121, why is the word remember set in the beginning of the fourth commandment? The word remember is set in the beginning of the fourth commandment partly because of the great benefit of remembering it. We being thereby helped in our preparation to keep it and in keeping it better to keep all the rest of the commandments and to continue a thankful remembrance of the two great benefits of creation and redemption, which contain a short abridgment of religion. It points us to creation, to redemption. A marvelous wonder. In Hebrews 4, verses 3 and 4, we have a quote from Psalm 95, 11, which we referenced regarding the rest of God. At the time of the fall... Man violated that rest that God had established. He fell into the very antithesis of the Sabbath, labor and toil and bondage. But in Christ, God spoke of another rest. And that rest would be the rest accomplished by Jesus Christ. Jesus brings us into that rest. 
by uniting us in love to God. The heart of the law is love. Love God and love the neighbor. In Christ, we show our adoration, we show our love for God by celebrating His goodness on a special day. We enter into the enjoyment of the rest that is ours in Christ by the power of His Spirit. And we're able to transcend then the shadowy Canaan of the Old Testament and enter into the true rest of the Lord's Day. Those who are Seventh-day Adventists never get there. They never understand the significance of the true rest that's in Jesus Christ. The resurrection Sabbath is now on the first day. And our rest then is not temporary as was the rest of paradise. We enter into the righteousness of God and we manifest our love for God in a fuller way than we're able to do during the course of the week. As we now are given the opportunity to come up to the house of God and to show forth his praise. A rest from labor, toil, from sin and death that's ours in Christ. That's the fundamental significance here. God is a God of rest. And he's taken us as his children into the enjoyment of that rest. Now and unto all eternity. And so he prohibits certain things. While a positive command we know must be set before us, Isaiah 58 verse 13 clearly prohibits certain things. It requires of us that we turn away our foot from the Sabbath from doing our pleasure on God's holy day. Filling the day with things pertaining to God's kingdom requires of us that we turn away from specific things. Now the word pleasure is used here and it's used often in the Old Testament to describe things that one delights in. Those things are one's pleasures. Here we have the reference doing your own pleasure. What is that a reference to? It would be the things that you delight in. The things that you want to do. Things that could be done the other six days of the week whether they relate to business, work, whether they relate to recreation and play, whatever. When you're taking those things up, now on the Lord's day, you desecrate that day. Now God doesn't forbid work. He doesn't forbid pleasure on the Sabbath because he's opposed to work or opposed to pleasure. We know that. God says, this day is for me. This day is mine. And therefore, use the six days for work, use the six days for pursuing your own pleasure, your own ways, as long as they're in conformity to my will. And now, on this day, don't pursue your pleasure. Pursue my pleasure. So God is calling us, lay aside the lesser pleasures of your life in order to seek after that which is the greatest pleasures of your life. Now, it's tragic that we don't see that. We think these lesser pleasures are more important to us than the spiritual pleasures that God sets forth in His Word. But note the wisdom here of our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father says those things you want to do, those things you delight in, that you do the other six days of the week, lay them aside now in order that you can pursue something that's greater, more grand, and more glorious.
And so we don't just refrain, but positively then, we honor, we delight, and we enter into the things that God wills and God desires. Now what is forbidden then? First, we must not do our regular work. Our ordinary work is set aside. That's clear from the testimony of the fourth commandment. We cease from doing our business on the Lord's day. Now it's the case that some work in jobs of necessity, and we acknowledge that. There are jobs that are necessary, but where there are jobs that are not necessary, we don't go to the office, we don't go to work, we don't go to the store because it's not necessary for us to do it. We ought not take up our homework as students. We don't take up unnecessary housework within the home on the Lord's day. We should not cause others to do that work. That's the importance of the commandment referencing manservants and maidservants. We don't try to get around this by saying, well, I'm not doing anything, but then we hire someone else to do it for us. Increasingly, Christians burden others on the Lord's day. Increasingly, we take up labor on Sunday, or perhaps we fly or we travel on Sunday so that we can be home for work on Monday so that we can begin business somewhere else. We use the day then for our own pleasure rather than God's will. And so we need to ask ourselves with regard to the Lord's day, is this a use of the day for myself? Is this a use of the day for my own pleasure? Clearly that's condemned here by God. Never forget, when parents give their children a little, the children are going to take more. And so that, what kind of an example are we being for our children here? Our children read this, they understand we're to turn our way from doing our own pleasure. Now are dad and mom pursuing their own pleasure or are they pursuing God's pleasure? Parents who reveal a careless with regard to God and His commands and the Lord's day will reap the benefit or the curse of seeing in their generations also evidence of that progression. We may not use the day for our own play, our own amusement, the seeking of our own pleasure. The Sabbath is a day to discover the peculiar treasure of the joy that is ours in Jesus Christ. And so we profane, profane the day then by spending the day watching television, going to ball games, playing ball, using the day in the pursuit of my own desires. God says, I give you six days, six days to do that. Engage in all of that on the other six days. But the Lord's day, this is to be devoted to private, special, peculiar treasures that I have given to my children, that we share and that we delight in, in order that you might worship and engage in devotion to me in a special way. We need to think of the Lord's Day as a spiritual vacation. When you're going to go on vacation, what do you do? You try to forget about everything that ordinarily would encompass your mind so that now you can put that all away, get rid of all the stress, all of those other things, and spend time enjoying your family and enjoying that time away. 
God gives us a weekly spiritual vacation so that we turn away from our mundane, everyday activities. We lay them aside. And now on this day, we enter into communion and fellowship with Him in a special way. And so we lay aside our own pleasures. We avoid unnecessary conversations about work, about recreation. We cease speaking our own words. Notice that in the last phrase of verse 13. Nor speaking thine own words. We turn our business phone off. We don't have to check our work email. We set our mind on the things of the Lord. Not our own work, not our own pleasure, not our own words even. We seek conversation about spiritual things, about God, about His glory, encouraging one another. And we pursue vocations then that will enable us to keep the Lord's day holy. There are works of mercy, there are works of necessity that are needed, and we need Christians in the realm of law enforcement and nursing and others, caring for animals. There are types of service jobs that require Sunday work, but we need to be convinced in our hearts that that is where God wants me. This is the calling that God has put me. And I need to labor diligently then, even though I have responsibilities on the Lord's Day, to yet carve out this day for the Lord as best I can. And understand that my deep need for the Lord's Day, for my spiritual well-being, must be preserved and must be kept. If I find that I'm getting caught up with the cares of the world, then I need to look for something different where I can, in a better way, lay aside this day for the service of Jehovah God. This is getting more and more challenging for our young people and for those who are entering the workforce. And important it is for us to help them understand the value of the Lord's Day, to understand the spiritual need to enter into that spiritual rest. For God and His glory, but also for their well-being. God requires of us then that we forget about everything else in our life and we focus on Him. Now again, that's humbling. But what is God doing? God is sanctifying us. If left to ourselves, we would be consumed by work. We would be consumed by recreation. We would be giving ourselves over to the pursuit of those things. And God says, no, that's not the most important thing in your life. The most important thing is that I'm preparing you for a glorious rest that's everlasting. And therefore, every week, I need you to pause, reassess your values and your goals, and understand who you are. So that the Sabbath is sanctifying for us. The Holy The Heidelberg Catechism stresses that in the last phrase of question 103, that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works and yield myself to the Lord. By nature, we would work ourselves to death in order to establish our kingdoms, to establish and to get more money for our families in order to establish a name and place on this earth. God stops us. And God says, no, that's not what it's all about. Sunday can be lucrative for the businessman. I can make more money if I'm open on Sunday and if I can sell things on Sunday. By nature, we would run with the world with all their pleasure, all their entertainment, which are primarily, again, on the Lord's Day. God says, no, that's not who you are. 
That's not what you're all about. I've created you to show forth my praise. And I give you now this day for your spiritual well-being and for your spiritual growth so that you can hear Christ, so that you can grow in your knowledge of the Word, so you can spend time in reading and in prayer in glorifying God through your fellowship with one another in Christ. When we pursue our own flesh, our own way, we mock God. What is it that we're saying to God? We're saying, God, I don't need the Lord's day. In other words, I'm so spiritual, I don't need a special day. I don't need to lay aside my earthly activity. I can stay walking with thee and I can maintain my love for thee by still engaging in all kinds of other things that I want to pursue on the Lord's day. God says, you can't go to heaven without it. You need it. You can't look like Jesus by pursuing your own pleasure on the Lord's day. God made the Sabbath and he instituted it for you and for me. God knows what you and I need. He knows how weak we are. He knows that we need to be refreshed spiritually. Am I forsaking my own pleasure for the sake of God's glory and God's rest? If not, I'm never going to know peace or rest in my life. Easily, my whole life then becomes a constant burden and I become overwhelmed with everything that's going on. And so God says, cease from those earthly labors. And we do so for just one reason, so that we have more time to devote to God and to the things of God's kingdom. The deeds of mercy, the deeds of necessity preparing meals, cleaning up. Things are still needing to be done in the home and in the family. We don't use them as an excuse to treat the Lord's Day as any other day. We don't take extra shifts. We don't take on extra work on the Lord's Day. We only do that which is required of us. So easy it is again because of perhaps double pay or time and a half that it's lucrative to take on extra shifts and we're tempted to do so. God says no. Don't pursue your own pleasure. This is my day. Use it for me. And so we cease from our earthly labors so that we can have more time to pursue heavenly things. Laying aside what would be for my own promotion in order to devote things to the spiritual service of my Lord. The question to ask, beloved, is a positive question. Will this help me enter into the spiritual rest of God? Will this remind me more fully of the joy of my salvation? Will this help me glorify and honor my God as I consider what great things he's done for me in Jesus Christ? We ask ourselves, am I doing this for me or am I doing it for God? Sabbath observance then is not a subjective thing. It's easy to try to make it all subjective that I can keep the Sabbath on the lake. I can keep the Lord's Day while I'm in the woods. I can keep the Lord's Day while I'm working. I can keep the Lord's Day while I'm playing ball. The Word of God gives us clear guidelines. And while God doesn't establish laws and precept upon precept as the Pharisees did, He does give me this guideline that everything I do helps me and my family enter into the spiritual rest that's in Christ. And enables me then to grow in the joy of my salvation. That's my goal. And that's the question I ask. Do I need to travel on the Lord's Day 
Or am I doing this so that I can selfishly enjoy my Saturday on vacation or not miss a Monday at work? Whose day is being sacrificed? Mine or the Lord's? With respect to every aspect of the day, the question I ask is, am I giving the Lord's will priority? Are these my ways, my pleasures, my words, or is it the Lord's will that I'm seeking to submit to? Again, we make much sometimes of the liberty, the freedom that we have. The more sensitive you become in seeking and pursuing that spiritual rest, the more you realize that the issue of liberty falls away. What I thought was justifiable and what I was trying to justify really was selfish. It was sinful. And therefore, I pursue God's will. I repent. I turn away from that. And I seek to do what's right in His eyes. And that brings us to the demand. The Sabbath is necessary for our life here below. We're faced with constant turmoil, with heavy labor, with stress. Physical, spiritual, emotional, Often as husbands and fathers were gone from home so much of the week. We're under constant pressure to exceed in our jobs. We have weighty responsibilities. We have to meet the needs of our families, the needs of tuition, the needs of the church. Often we take on extra responsibilities so that we can meet those needs and provide for our homes. And we become so involved in our work that it's extremely difficult to lay it aside on the Lord's day. As children and young people, especially our schoolwork is that which is our primary labor. And again, we get so carried away with it during the course of the week. We're under so much pressure to do well that it's so difficult to lay it aside on the Lord's day. As mothers, there's so much to do in the home. There's so many responsibilities. Difficult it is, again, for us to lay aside those responsibilities on the Lord's day. And realize then how much more we're going to have to do on Monday. As weak individuals, we experience the shame and the guilt of our sin. And that sin burdens us. And it weighs upon us. And the shame and the guilt of sin brings us down throughout the course of the week. Now the society in which we live doesn't see a need for spiritual rest. They don't trust God to supply their needs They trust in money. They trust in their own ability. They keep their business open on Sunday so that they can prosper. There's no confidence that God is going to supply the needs of his saints and that God is going to prosper or bless them in the way of obedience. God's children are different. We put our confidence in God. And we look to God as our Heavenly Father. And we labor as diligently as we can in the six days that he gives us. And then we cast our cares upon him, knowing that he will provide us with what we need. Remember the Israelites during the time of Malachi? They couldn't pay their bills. They couldn't get caught up. And so they were working, and they were working on the Sabbath. And they still couldn't get ahead. And Isaiah has to come, or Malachi has to come to them and chastise them for the fact that they were robbing God of the tithes and offerings. They weren't giving him what was due unto him. But then also their experience was that as they made money, it was like putting it in a sack with holes. It just 
They were just losing it as fast as they could make it. And Isaiah points out the problem. The problem is with the manner in which you're conducting yourself. You're not trusting in God. You're not looking to Him. You're trusting in yourselves. You trust in God. You quit working on the Lord's day. You pursue His pleasure and His will and His way. And the money will be there. And God will provide. We trust in God. And we also trust in God in this. He knows that I need spiritual rest. We can't expect to be godly parents if we're going to neglect the spiritual rest and use the Lord's Day for our own pleasure. We can't expect to be godly young people if we're going to use the Lord's Day merely to catch up on sleep, to finish up our homework that we should have done previously. We're not going to be godly men and women when we pursue our own way our own pleasure, our own words on the Lord's day. We need to enter into the spiritual rest that is ours in God, ours in Christ. And we do so understanding this is a glorious oasis that God has given us in the busyness of life. And that in the midst of all the pressures, all the burdens of life, my value and my worth is not found in how much money I can make, how good my grades are, what I can all accomplish. My value and worth is found in the wonder that Jehovah God has loved me in Jesus Christ. He's embraced me as his child. He's offered the sacrifice that was necessary in my place. And it is finished. Everything that's necessary for my salvation has been accomplished. Our celebration of the Sabbath is our celebration of the life of the risen Lord and the wondrous grace by which I can now seek the things that are above. He has so worked in my heart and in my life that I pursue not earthly things merely, but that my focus now is on the things that are spiritual and the things that are heavenly. By nature, we can't. By nature, we never would. But in Christ, we can, we must, and we desire to. And God works in us that will. And so we come to church. We come to church as the apostles came on that resurrection morning to the tomb. You children remember how they came? Excited. They were filled with joy, filled with thanksgiving. They were perplexed. But they didn't come sleepy, grudgingly. They came with joy, rejoicing in the wonder that the Lord had been raised from the dead. The devil would have us come sleepy, tired, grudgingly. We have to overcome that. We come with joy. We come with thankfulness. And that requires, again, preparation. It starts on Saturday. We grow in our love for God. We grow in our love for what God has done for us. And we grow in our desire to maintain His will throughout the week. On the Lord's Day, we're reminded, I need to pray more. I need to be diligent in devotions. And so I work hard at it. Tragically, sometime by Saturday already, I've lost it. I'm not doing devotions like I should. On Sunday, I'm reminded again. And I try more diligently. My life is not about work. It's not about pleasure. It's about God. It's about the glorious rest that is in Him. And so we try to teach our children to anticipate the Lord's Day. We teach them the beauty and the wonder of that spiritual rest that is theirs. That they might see their sinfulness. That they might know the wonder of Christ's forgiving grace. And that 
Jesus Christ has taken away the guilt, the shame of sin. When we treat the worship of God as a low priority, attending when we feel like it, sleeping through the services when we do come, what's revealed about our spiritual condition? What are we saying to our children? What does God see about our desire to celebrate His wondrous work in our life? We assemble in church, beloved, with joy to go to our God, our covenant-keeping God, to meet with Him and to fellowship with Him. And we confess there's something mysterious. He's present by His Spirit. He's speaking to us. And we hear Him and we delight in His words and we're encouraged and comforted and admonished in our walk in the midst of this world. We diligently frequent the house of God. The ministry of the word in the Christian schools must be maintained according to the catechism. The schools referred to there are primarily the theological schools for the instruction of men to preach the word. We frequent the church of God and we desire that there be ministers to preach and to proclaim the word. Now, Christian day schools are included in this sense that in order for there to be ministers, we need training and teaching that prepares those men from early on in order that they can be equipped with the spiritual graces and the knowledge that's necessary to proclaim God's word. But the ministry of the word is central to that spiritual rest. If there's no preaching, there's no rest. And those who refuse then to make the word central commit spiritual suicide. They reveal an increasing death of spirituality, revealing that there never was any true spiritual life within them. We need the word, and we need the lively preaching of that word. We begin every week with our Father in fellowship and communion with Him, and there's a sanctifying influence again on the whole of our life. The Lord's Day has a heavenly influence. We don't view the Lord's Day as bondage. We've been delivered from the law of sin and bondage. We now walk in the liberty that is ours in Jesus Christ. And liberty is in the sphere of obedience. Liberty is walking in obedience to God and the pursuit of His will. We don't allow ourselves to fall back into bondage. To spend the Lord's Day watching television sleeping all afternoon. That's to fall into that bondage again. To involve ourselves in our own pleasure, that's to fall into bondage. There's never going to be rest in that way. But thanks be to God for the marvelous work by which He turns us. He works in us repentance. He works in us sorrow. He works in us a delight and a desire for the things of His kingdom. We want to drink deeply of His fellowship. We want to drink of His word. And so we spend Saturday evening at home preparing ourselves for the Lord's Day. Pray. Pray for ourselves. Pray for our families. Pray for our children. Pray for our pastor. Pray for the office bearers. Pray for other members of the congregation. Read the handouts. Read the scripture passages that we know are going to be up for reading in the morning. We pray for grace and we pray for the strength to enter into that spiritual rest, to keep our feet from doing our own pleasure, to keep our eyes and our ears and our hands from the pursuit of the things of our nature. And then we spend the Lord's Day with the Lord. We frequent His His worship. 
We read the scriptures. We read good spiritual literature. We give ourselves to the pamphlets, the religious books. We work with our children with catechism, with their Sunday school worksheets. We count it a delight. We take time to sing with our families. We make Sunday special in a spiritual way. And Sunday isn't a burden. It'll be a blessing. And we pray for the grace that even our children understand that Sunday is different. Initially, they're not going to perhaps appreciate it or look forward to it. But down the road, they're going to look back and they're going to get to the point where they realize Sunday is special. It's set apart. It's a day when we do things that ordinarily we don't get to do on the other days of the week. And it's a day when we don't do other things that ordinarily we do on the other days of the week. It's a day devoted to God. And it's a rest then that continues for the whole of the day. And even when Sunday is over, again it's going to spill over to the rest of the week. This Sabbath, God uses to prepare us for heaven. Heaven is not going to be a place of idleness. It's not going to be a place of laziness. Heaven's not going to be a place where we pursue our own selfish pleasure and desire. Heaven's going to be a place of perfect rest and communion with God. And that which we experience now is a foretaste of that eternal glory that awaits us. And as we keep the day holy, as we turn away from ourselves to the pursuit of His will, God stirs up within us that desire for that eternal rest that awaits, where there will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more struggles, no more cancer, no more difficulties in family or in marriage, where God will bring all things into the perfection of that which He has determined, where our life will be quickened and strengthened and brought to the fullness of that covenant communion with Jehovah God. We're ashamed of our sin. We turn away from it and we cry out to Christ as the one alone through whom we can be strengthened to maintain this day as a day of rest to the glory of God. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank Thee that out of love for us and for our spiritual well-being, Thou hast given unto us the Lord's day. Cause that the blessings of that day be heavenly Cause that we might experience an oasis for which our soul longs. Cause, Lord, that the day not be a burden but a delight, a privilege, and that it work in us a longing for that eternal Sabbath that awaits. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.